G'day everyone and welcome back to the Move, Eat and Re-Energize podcast show where we sit down and have conversations with interesting and inspiring legends about mindset, movement, nutrition and bringing more energy into your day. This week I'm chatting with Greg Leach of Real Bodies Fitness in Melbourne and Greg has come from being in corporate and in that corporate life, not feeling very fulfilled and having his weight creep up to 160 kgs to losing 50 kgs and using running as his motivation to do it and then becoming a PT and a certified running coach where he's now passing on his knowledge and experience of going through that journey to his clients. So I really found this super inspiring, like Greg going through this massive journey and I think you will too. So I really want to get into this now. So let's roll. So back with the Move Eat Random show and I'm here with Greg Leach and he's basically gone through this amazing journey of being, well, sort of being at 160 kilos working in the corporate world and then losing 50 kilos, becoming a runner and then becoming a PT. So Greg, did you want to say g'day to everybody and tell everybody a little bit about what you do now and then we'll get into how the journey kind of started. You know, problem. Hello everyone. Um, I'm Greg Leach. Uh, what do I do now? I'm, I'm a PT, um, but I'm also an accredited uh, recreational running coach. So basically that fancy title means that um, I can help people who want to learn to run or are running and want to improve their running. Um, I don't train any elites um, and I don't really want to. Um, I have a passion for basically helping people achieve things that they never thought that they could possibly achieve. So that's what I get out of my run coaching. Um, the PT side of things, I don't get into all this bodybuilding and figure competitions and whatever. Um, obviously, with my history of, of losing weight, um, I just want people to feel comfortable in their own skin, um, help them achieve their goals, whether it be to lose 20, 30 kilos, um, get up and moving, um, just understand that you know you can do a lot more than you give yourself credit for and basically encourage people to have a bit of fun and get outside their comfort zone. Yeah, that's awesome. And like we were just talking off air and we had to quickly press um, record because you started talking about how – you were in the corporate life and the, well, basically the suck town that it can be in the corporate life and how it's really cutthroat and then how it sort of transitioned you into figuring out or starting your journey. Did you want to start onto that? Like back in 2011, 2012? Yeah, hundred um, percent. I spent 20 odd years in the corporate world and that kind of attributed to me um, becoming morbidly obese. Um, you know, a sedentary lifestyle with uh, too many meetings, sitting on your backside, um, you're not, not getting up and moving around a bit, driving to and from work, you know, basically sitting down all the time. Um, I didn't consider my diet to be that bad. Um, I probably had a little bit too much alcohol, um, probably indulged a little bit too much in the cheese and onion chips, but um, <laughs> that's one of my weaknesses, but, you know, everyone has one. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, definitely. Um, so... Come back to 2011, my wife's father was diagnosed with terminal cancer and basically told he had three and a half months to live. Um, he had a rare strain of melanoma. So that kind of knocked us all for six. Um, he went into some special treatment. I obviously, it was doing chemo, but they was on a rare drug trial that they were, they were trying to find out if this would work. Um, my father-in-law thought, well, I've got nothing to lose, so let's have a crack. And whilst this was happening, my wife decided to sign us up for the Ride to Conquer Cancer, which was the first one that Peter Mac offered back in 2012. So she signed us up early on in the year. And when I found out, I thought, holy cow, how is this going to work? Because it was a 200-kilometer bike ride. I didn't own a bike. Uh, <laughs> I hadn't ridden a bike for 20 years. And I was a little bit, uh, I suppose, overawed by the whole prospect but me being me i said don't worry um i'll find a way i'll wing it like i always do and uh that set the ball in in motion then she decided to sign up for um michelle bridges program uh, the 12 wbt now my wife's history was that probably about 10 years earlier she had a serious car accident um lucky to be still with us she was had a head-on with a drink driver 
and smashed her left leg to smithereens. So she's got still got two plates and 16 screws. She did have three plates and 23 screws um, in there. So that hindered her from doing a lot of things. So I wondered whether or not she'd even be able to ride a bike to do this 200-kilometre uh, ride. But uh, coming back to the 12WBT, she signed up for that. Um, she sent me a message at work, probably because she didn't want to tell me about it because <laughs> she had done a lot of uh, Weight Watchers and those sorts of programs um, where she had lost a bit of weight, but then unfortunately she went backwards and put the weight back on, as you know we know many people do. And I just thought that this would be another um, money down the drain sort of thing. But then for whatever reason, I sat back, I had a look, I did a bit of research into the program and I decided, you know what, I'll join up and do it with her in support of her. It had no, didn't think whatsoever about the benefits for me. Uh, I just thought, you know, if she's going to be successful, I need to support her. Otherwise, it's just an extra negative that she's got that um, makes it harder for her. Uh, so we, I signed up as well. And um, from there on, we went in pretty full on. Um, now, I'm not a massive fan of that sort of program since I've come out the other side. Um, but there's a lot of reasons for that. But I will say that it gave me a stepping stone into understanding more about what I needed to do to change my life around. Yeah. It's like, it's very extreme for like a first kind of a program you, you, you would tackle, isn't it? A hundred percent. I've never counted a calorie in my life. And then I was having to weigh stuff and, you know, weigh out my breakfast and, you know, I've, I've grown up, I just pour my brekkie in a bowl, I eat it and then I worry about what I'm going to eat when I'm hungry the next time sort of thing. But I had to literally plan out snacks, lunches, um, dinners, and we had got four kids. So, you know, it's a little bit, uh, are they going to eat what we're going to eat? You know, I'm not, I did a lot of the cooking. I still do a lot of the cooking. Um, I'm not one for cooking multiple meals. Like the kids will eat what I eat sort of thing. And if they don't, then, you know, we'll work something out. But um, I'm not going to cook a separate meal for them just because I'm on a diet per se. Um, so it was a little bit interesting. Yeah. Uh, that would have been pretty, trying to juggle all that. That would have been, yeah. Well, I, you would have found out a lot of stuff about your, like start of the journey, but the stuff you would have learned then, you'd be taking forward, like how to manage the family and your diet at the same time. Oh, 100%. And, you know, then I've got to throw in training and not only my training, but, you know, my wife's got to train and then we've got kids that have got activities. Thankfully, they weren't that old back then, but, you know, they still do swimming and ballet and whatever. And uh, so it, it actually taught me a lot about, obviously, my nutrition. Um, got me in the right mindset back then. I, for whatever reason, I'd switched and I, I really went hard for for 12 weeks and I dropped 24 and a half kilos in 12 weeks. Holy moly. Yeah. So it was a bit of a shock to the system. Um, and, uh, but I learned a lot about my own mental toughness in that time. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which, which was probably the best thing because it's, it's held me in good stead moving forward. So That's pretty amazing. 24 kilos in 12 weeks. Like how, how hard was that? that initial that 12 week period on the diet like did you find you had lots of cravings and hunger or were you just that hyper focused you just blocked it all out i think i was uh, pretty much i was that hyper focused like i gave up grog for, for 12 weeks i didn't touch a drop of alcohol for 12 weeks which for both of us um and you know we used to like a wine uh, i wouldn't say every night but we'd have a glass of wine um after dinner once the kids had been in bed um, you know, on the weekends, I might have had a few beers, those sorts of things, watching the footy. Uh, but, yeah, just none whatsoever for 12 weeks. And I didn't miss it as much as I thought I would. Um, there was a couple of times there when things got a bit hard and tough. And I thought, oh, geez, I'd, I'd hang, I'd kill for a beer right now. But um, it wasn't too bad. The food side of it wasn't that bad because I think, I think the snacks were the hardest part. Um, just trying to work out what you could and couldn't eat um, as a snack uh, and conditioning yourself. Um, the hardest part at the start was probably making sure you got enough water into you because we just, as as people, we just don't drink enough of it. So um, that was probably the hardest part. And obviously, feel like you need to go to the toilet every uh, half an hour. <laughs> but um, yeah, it was. 
I don't think it was as hard as what some people make it out to be. Yeah. Um, and that just comes down to your mindset too. Like, you know, a lot of people will go into the, to a lifestyle change and they're not 100%. So that's why it's always a lot more difficult than, than what it needs to be. If you're yes. committed, it's, it's, it's easy. If you have 50-50, then you're going to make excuses and make it hard for yourself. Yeah, if you give yourself that gray area, you'll always think about the gray area and try yeah, exactly. and give yourself that. I don't know. Excuses come fast and quick when you give yourself room to listen to them. If that makes hundred percent, and you know, I'm not, not saying that everyone has to be uh, black and white. Yeah, but you know, if if you want something, then you'll find a way to get it done. And if you're not really fast, then it's just going to stay the same. Yeah, exactly. All right, so. You've done the 12 weeks and you lost 24 kilos. Let's look talk, look at what happened afterwards. Like you finished 12 weeks and it's sort of like that finish line. Yeah. What was going on after that? Like what was your thoughts and what was the next phase for you? I thought I was bulletproof, to be honest. <laughs> um, no, we rolled into another 12 weeks because that, that was the thing with the Michelle Bridges program back in those days. It went, there was four of them every year. So you basically got a week between and then rolled into another one if you wanted to. And I thought, what the hell, you know, I've done so well, I'll just keep it going. Um, probably wasn't as, well, not probably, I wasn't as committed the second time as I was the first. Um, and we had a few family functions come up, and there was my daughter's communion and all those sorts of, you know, a few, few different things. And I dropped, I was about nine, nine or 10 kilos in the second 12 weeks. So it's still a good number. Yeah, that's, and that's sort of like in that reasonable amount too. So yeah, it's really yeah. good. But once you drop 24 and a half, yeah. you go, well, why? What did I do wrong? Why didn't I drop as many? Um, and it's because I didn't understand about the human body. You know, I had no idea. And I didn't have anyone to really talk to. Yes. So it's, it's all good and well. Um, the program has forums and all that sort of stuff. But if I don't have anyone that I can sit down and go, well, hang on a second, I've only done 50% of what I did last time, why? Then you kind of think, well, I did. And I'm, you know, there's a lot of people that would be in the same boat that they've failed. Yeah. Because I didn't drop that number again. It doesn't matter that I, I didn't really, I still had a lot of weight to lose, but it wasn't going to come off as easy as the first time because it wasn't in abundance. Um, isn't it funny like how your mind does this thing to you? Like if you didn't lose that 24 kilos in the first time and you got nine or 10 and then you got nine or 10 again, which is still an amazing journey. It's sort of like, you're like, Oh cool. That's awesome. It's same, same, same. It's great. 100%. 100%. It's, and then yeah, that big difference hard. between first 12 and second 12, how it just, your brain does these annoying things to you where you think, shit, what did I do wrong? We always go internal, which is That's kind of right. And, and, and straight away, I'm starting to look at myself going, oh, because you had that, you had a few beers after that function, you know, your family function and, and you, you enjoyed a barbecue and, you know, you're not eating right. And at the end of the day, I was living like a normal person. Um, you know, I, I didn't go crazy and get, get drunk every weekend or anything like that. Um, I was still fairly fairly strict with when I did have a, have a beer and, and I was still training five to six days a week and, um, and my training had actually increased, but I wasn't understanding what that was doing to my body and I wasn't probably recovering properly and, and all those sorts of things. So, you know, I didn't understand what the effects all this stuff was having on my body and, and how I could fix it. Um, I was just looking at the negative side of things and, um, yeah, it made it a little bit hard, but, uh, you know, at the end of it, I, I'd, after six months, I was still 35 kilos down. So, you know, I can't complain. No, it's kind of like, it's like a weird thing. You said you got that 35 kilos, but you're still talking yourself down, which is what I did when I did my weight loss initially. Yeah. It was like you had that one period where everything slows down or doesn't happen and you just, that's the focus. We just, as humans, we're really good at focusing on the negative shit. Oh, 100%. And yeah, and this is something that um, I learned way back when I first started in the corporate world that, and, and it's quite funny because actually as a 19 year old, I had an argument with my boss about it saying that you, you focus too much on the negatives, but if you actually gave people some positive reinforcement every now and then you'd be amazed as to the, the, 
improvement in productivity that you would get because some people would then actually notice that you notice they're doing some good stuff. And that's kind of stuck with me for the last 25 years. And um, it's something that I'm constantly making sure. I coach junior football, so I'm constantly making sure that um, the young boys that I coach are aware, you know, they get positive reinforcement. They still get a kick in the backside every now and then when they need it. But if you don't praise people for the good things that they're doing, it just becomes a nonstop um, negative kind of verbal diarrhea and people shut off. Um, So, yeah, you have to remember that there are a lot of good things. There might be one or two bad things that we've done um, with our training or, you know, trying to lose weight or whatever, but there's a lot of good things that we've put in place and we've just got to keep chipping away at them and uh, good things will happen. Yeah, I like that. There's like, like you said, you put all those good things, if you just keep working and then building your skills, you end up becoming like this totally different version of you. But yeah, when you get sucked into that negative feel, it's hard to get out of it. So with that, so you've gone six months and you've lost 35 kilos. What was the next process, especially just after what felt like a failure after the second one? Yeah, well, I, funny enough, I saddled up again and went, went and did another uh, 12 weeks. Um, really? Yeah, yeah, my wife was my wife was doing all right, so I thought, you know, I'll stick with it. Um, I'd made up a pretty good support network from people within the program, but they live locally. Yeah. Um, so we there was a group of them that used to train together every Saturday morning, um, just do like circuit training or boot camp style training and whatever, but we couldn't make it because we had um, little kids and they trained at 7 o'clock on a Saturday morning and, one of us could go, but the other one would have to stay home. So um, we decided that we would set up the same sort of thing, but at our house. Um, we've got big garage and uh, massive pergola, which is like 13 metres long by 6 metres wide. So we decided that we would set um, the training session up here and anyone that wanted to come along and do it, I had some equipment and stuff, but anyone who wanted to come along and work out here on a Saturday morning um, was more than welcome. So it was free of charge. We just, I, mean, I wasn't qualified, so we just all got together. But um, the onus had fallen on me to basically put the workouts together. Yeah, okay. Uh, yep. Yeah, so that, that's kind of the start of the process where I thought, you know, I've, I know a little bit. I had a, had a sporting background from my younger days. Not that we did a lot of boot campy sort of stuff. That, that never happened 25, 30 years ago. But I kind of understood a little bit about the human body. Um, so everyone was aware that I wasn't qualified, but they came along and they did whatever I programmed and, and had a bit of fun. So we used to go for an hour and a half and uh, 45 minutes would be uh, circuit style and then 45 minutes would be boxing. And um, everyone went at their own pace. It was timed. So, you know, there wasn't any expectation that everyone had to keep up with, with anyone else. And uh, we ended up building up a little crew. We used to call it the garage, the garage crew. And all the garage sessions, and some days we'd have about twenty people here. Yeah, wow, that's super cool. Yeah, it was awesome. And um, from that, then we started to have. Uh, obviously, I'd started my running already, but a lot of it used to be done on my own. And a couple of the other people started running, and then we decided that as our warm up, we would go for a run, uh, six thirty Saturday morning, and we do. 20 minutes, half an hour run, and then we'd come back and then we'd do the circuit and the um, and the boxing. So some week, some some Saturday mornings, we might end up with five or six, seven people out running first and then come back and do the, do the two workouts. Um, so things just started to snowball from there. And, um, yeah, it's, it, was, it was a really good way to, to start off a, a weekend. It's really cool because, like, how, you know, Dan John, how he always talks about... He talks about his um, oh, communities that he builds around his training. Yeah. So he trains every day only because he opens his garage up and there's about 20 people coming to train with him. <laughs> and he knows that he'll get out of bed and do it. And he's been sprouting it off in his books for ages. And the idea is just such a good idea. Using your friends and your support crew to help you show up and spread your motivation around between you. Someone will be super motivated who could help bring you up. It's yeah. really, that's awesome. That was, so... You said you started running then, or you were already running. What got you into doing the running? 
When my, wife, when, when my wife signed up for the 12 WBT, I kind of thought to myself, what do I actually want to get out of this? If I'm going to be doing all these workouts, what do I want to get out of it? You know, I, I'm, I'm, I hate weights, which is kind of strange when you're a PT, but um, I'm not the one that would just go to the gym and smash out, smash out a gym session. Um, I like to, I've always been into athletics or football or, you know, um, I cycled so much as a kid because we, I used to live in a country town and my house was 5Ks out of the town. So if I wanted to go visit anyone, I was on my bike. Um, so I was always that sort of active. I just don't like being um, in a gym. Yeah, and cool. Each of their own. But um, so I thought after thinking about it, I thought I want to learn to run. And my wife looked at me and thought, what the hell do you mean learn to run? You know how to run. You used to play football. And I said, no, no, I want to learn to run, whether it be 3K, 5K, 10K, whatever, I want to learn to run without having to sprint to chase a ball or, you know, worry about a coach telling me I've got to do a 5K run or whatever. And um, I hadn't done anything for such a long time. So I thought, okay, this is going to have to be broken down to baby steps. And there's a park around my corner from my house. Um, it's got a, a circular um, track and it's, it's literally just a concrete path that, the local residents walk around, kids ride their scooters around. But it's worked out, it's 250 metres around. So I thought, that's perfect. But when I went around there and I started to, to jog around it, um, actually I call it a joffle, it's a cross between a jog and a shuffle. Um, that's awesome. <laughs> but, uh, and I would just go at my own pace and Got the, after a little while, got, you know, got one kilometre non-stop down pat, which was fantastic. After a couple of weeks, I was up to three Ks non-stop. And I came home to my wife and I said, oh my God, I can't believe it. I just ran three Ks. And she said, no, you didn't. I said, I bloody did. And I was using um, the Nike run app. So I, I was tracking everything and I showed her and, and we were quite impressed. And then about uh, two weeks later, I got a free trial at a local gym. And I went down to check it out and I jumped on the treadmill. I thought, I'm going to go for a run. I hate treadmills, but I thought, I'm going to go for a run. I'm going to see if I can run 5Ks. And I did. It took me 40 minutes, but I ran 5Ks nonstop. Yeah, wow. That would have been pretty awesome. It was awesome, but it was also a bad thing because at that point in time, I didn't understand about the right amount to increase the overall distances each week. Um, so I was actually pushing myself too hard. I was yeah. going more than I should have for, for the, um, the, my cardiovascular endurance. So I came home, I told her around 5Ks and, you know, pretty, pretty happy we were at. The next weekend I decided I was going to go out and I was just going to run as far as I could. Big mistake. <laughs> what happened? I got to about six, oh, actually not to about, I got to 6.4 kilometres and my calf popped. Wow. Um, yeah. So instead of listening to my body and being smart about it, um, I just kept going and I thought, no, no, it's all right. It's all right. It's just a little bit of a cramp. I'll, I'll work through it. And then, no, I strained my calf. Uh, that put me out for six weeks. So six weeks, no running after you just built up to that point, pretty much put me back to square one. So that was my first lesson learned. Um, then I started to to speak to some people and got an understanding of, you know, you only should be increasing your overall weekly um, mileage by 10%. Um, you know, don't go too big too early because overtraining, you know, you, you haven't got the muscle, the strength in the muscle groups that you require for running, etc. Even though all the training that I had been doing, you know, I, I, I'll do legs all day, upper body does my head in because I've had a shoulder injury when I was playing football and I just don't have that... Um, upper body strength, but my legs have always been good because of the amount of cycling and running I did as a kid. But it wasn't the right sort of leg work. Um, so that kind of put me back to square one. So after those six weeks, I had a slow process of, of building up again. And um, it was great that this group came along. We would only go, some days we would just go 3K, other days we would go 5, but it wouldn't be any more than 5Ks. Um, and we'd always be around the 30, 35 minute mark, which is not a bad little pace when you're um, pretty much a newbie to running. And it just grew from there. Yeah, that's awesome. So what was the, what was the first big race? What was uh, the first big one for you? My first event was 
one of down in Melbourne we have um, they call it the Brooks Sunset Series. So it's run during summer. Don't ask me why. It's the most ridiculous time to do an event because they do it in the evenings. And <laughs> it's, a, it's a series of three events. So the first one is around the tan. Um, so for those that aren't in Melbourne, it's the track that goes around the Botanical Gardens and it's probably the most well-known running track in Melbourne. Um, it's just under 4Ks in distance. So they do a 4K event and an 8K event. And... My friends had signed up for that, but for whatever reason, I didn't do it. Um, but the second one goes around and through Melbourne Zoo. And I signed up for that one. And I signed up for 8Ks, and I'd never run 8Ks before. I'd done seven, and I thought this is perfect for me to, to step up um, the next distance. But I live in the flattest part of Australia. There's no hills whatsoever. And you don't realise how many hills there are within Melbourne Zoo. <laughs> so basically what you had to do is you start out the front of the zoo, you run a lap around the entire perimeter fence, and then when you come back to the front, you go run in through the front gate and you run down the hill to the back gate and then you run back up to the front gate and you do it all again. Um, yeah, there's a lot of hills there. And I was with a friend who is a better runner than me. And my first lesson, proper lesson learned was that you run at your own pace. But I got sucked in with the crowd and I was running at her pace. And I was probably about a comfortably six and a half to seven minute kilometre runner. Uh, my first kilometre was done in five minutes and 12 seconds. <laughs> that's, that's humping along. Yeah, and I still, that was at the bottom of the hill. I still had the first hill to go up. And I looked at my watch <laughs> and I thought, if I don't stop, slow down right now, I'm not going to make the 8Ks. Um, so I did. I just said, go to my friend and I, I slowed right down and um, managed to finish the event. But um, I think the, the, the best thing that happened that day for me was I went in after work and I was there by myself, with obviously with some friends. Um, my wife had some errands to run that evening, drop kids off at uh, activities and whatever. But unbeknownst to me, she'd arranged for my in-laws to take my daughter to ballet and her and my other, my three boys were standing at the finish line. Um, and I, as I ran past the first time I saw them and they'd made this big sign that said, go dad. And, um, so for up to the second four Ks, I probably floated a little bit more than I would have if I was just there by myself. So that's the, probably the fondest memory I have of my first event. Yeah, I was going to say, that's pretty amazing. Like, how did it feel when you saw that when you were running along? That's I was cool. kind of, it was a shock because I, they weren't going to be there as far as where I was just my friends and I and I was going to finish whenever I finished and catch up and have a you know banana or whatever we, we had at the end. But no, my wife and kids were there and my youngest at the time was, geez, I think he was four and he was trying to basically run out and give me a high five. So... Um, which was pretty cool. So, yeah, that's I've still got the sign now. Um, ha, that's awesome. Yeah, I've put it away. I've put it up on my Instagram a couple of times, just, you know, a um, bit of inspiration for some other people. But uh, I'm going to get it framed one day and put it up on the wall. Yeah. Like, that would turn, like, even just the fact you finished the 8Ks is awesome. But that moment made this event such a big thing. What was it like going into other events after this massive first one? Was it like were you super motivated and training was easy or did you have struggles going into other events? Training's never easy. Yeah. Um, doesn't matter what distance you're training for and nor should it be easy, um, especially if you're following a proper structured plan. Um, you're, most people that I've spoken to about running, not necessarily ones that I've coached, but they'll say, oh, but it's, it's so hard, I'm so tired. And I say, yeah, but you're supposed to be. You're teaching your body to act under fatigue. And then obviously when you get to lean into your event, you taper and you turn up to the event on fresh legs. And, and actually event, the event is easier than, you, than your training, um, which a lot of people don't understand. So, um, you know, if you've, if you've got a structured structured plan, then you're going to be buggered pretty much for 10, 12, 16 weeks. Um, it's all about recovery and, and being ready for the next session. So I don't think I've ever had 
uh, an easy period of training leading into an event. Um, my first major event, after I did that 8Ks, I kind of went back and said to myself, well, what am I going to do now? Um, one of my good mates is an Ironman triathlete, and I've watched him race so many times, and I thought, you know what, it'd be really good to try a half Ironman. Um, but that was like a plan way down the way down the path, and obviously with a half Ironman, the end of it is a half marathon, so I thought I'd better see if I can do that one first. Um, yeah, but running 8Ks, running 21.1s is a fair jump. Yeah. Um, so I started to put a, a bit of a plan in place and I was doing all my training by myself. Um, I, I suppose I'm sort of person that I don't like to rely on someone else um, because it's too easy for someone to, to pull a pin and then you're stuck on your own anyway. And I don't really like being locked in to when I have to do something. So if I wake up knowing that I've got to go for a run, then I'll go for a run. But if something happens and I have to throw it around to the evening, then, then I can. I'm not uh, messing someone else's schedule around. So I decided that I was going to do a half marathon, which was going to be 2013 Run Melbourne. And we... My wife and I discussed it and I locked it in and, and sorted out my training plan and spoke to my mate who's an Ironman and he was kind of helping me. And I got to 14 kilometres being my longest distance and then, and that was hard yakka. And then one of my friends decided that she was doing the Geelong half marathon and she decided she couldn't do it because she had bronchitis or chest infection or something like that. And she asked if someone else wanted to do it. And I spoke to my mate and he said, why not? He goes, just treat it as a training run. I said, oh, but it's like 50% more than what I've ever done. And he goes, mate, if you can run 14, you can run 21. And I laughed at him. <laughs> I said, you're kidding me, aren't you? He goes, what's the worst that can happen? You stop running at 15 or 16 and you walk the rest and, you know, it's still a PB. You've, you've run your longest distance. It's a training run. You've taken part in an event and, you know, just see how it goes. So I thought, all right, and it was a week later that I had to actually go and do this event and um, I got there and I was smart this time that I'd set myself a time per kilometre that I was going to run. I started. I was the very last person to, fin to go across the start line and I wasn't getting caught into any um, hype when everyone ran off like headless chickens. And I was chugging along. I was doing all right. I got to the 14K mark. Obviously, my legs were, were heavy because that's the longest I've been and it's 14Ks. But I thought, let's see how we go. Every step after here's a PB and kept plugging away. Got to 16. My legs felt like concrete, but I was pretty pumped because I got the 16Ks. So I thought, oh, well, we'll just see how we go um, and we'll keep running along. And then I got to 18Ks and... At this point, I felt like I was going to die, <laughs> but I'm very stubborn. So I thought, you are not stopping now and you're only three kilometers from the end because you will hate yourself for the rest of your life if you do. Now, I have no problem with anyone walking during any of these events and I actually coach some of my people to walk during events depending on what event they are and where they're at. But at this point in time, I didn't understand any of that and I wasn't stopping. So... I kept plodding along. Uh, 19 case came up and I literally thought I was dying. But then I turned to the side and I saw a lady that had passed out. She was lying on the ground and some random stranger and his wife had taken her shoes off and put her in the recovery position. Now that kind of dawned on me that shit was real and that maybe I shouldn't be here because um, according to me, that person had trained properly for this and I hadn't. And that's what had happened to them. But uh, I thought, no, stuff this. I'm going to keep going. And then I got about 500 metres up the road and I saw some paramedics wheeling a guy into the back of an ambulance. And it kind of, I was thinking, this is not supposed to happen. This is just a running event. You know, <laughs> it's like I had no idea of what you, how your body could react to this sort of stuff. Um, got around the corner. I could see the finish line about a K and a half down the road. It was a nice long straight. And I felt like I was in one of those cartoons where you're running towards something and it's moving away from you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just didn't see that I was ever going to reach it. Um, 
but yeah, I ended up getting to the end um, and to my surprise, once again, my wife and kids and my mum were there and I hadn't planned on any of them being there because it was 45 minute drive away and it was at stupid o'clock in the morning. Um, yeah, so it was a pleasant surprise. I crossed the finish line. I ran the full 21.1 kilometres nonstop and then I collapsed. And I think the first thing I said was, why do people do this? <laughs> so, so that was my first half marathon. And you come back for more? After that big one. I've done another five. Yeah. Um, and after I'd done a couple, I decided, what the hell am I going to do now? And I decided to do a marathon. Yeah, wow. So um, what did anything change in your training during those five half marathons and leading into this marathon? Uh, well, the uh, three of the half marathons were after my marathon. Oh, yep, yep, yep. So I did the marathon, which in, in some respects was a complete disaster. Um, in leading up into training, I tore my calf twice, which was the same one that I strained when I first started running. Um, so it put me back probably about two and a half months, maybe more, three months, um, and I, th- I said to my wife, because it was up at the Gold Coast and the whole family were going, and I said, what's the worst that can happen? I'll pull out. You know, I'll get up there, I'll do what I can training-wise, and then worst-case scenario, if I get halfway through and I can't go anymore, then I'll pull out. And um, she wanted me to drop back to the half, and I said, no, no, probably the five or six weeks leading into it, I hadn't any problems with my calf muscle. It was fantastic. Got up there, the apartment we stayed in, uh, the bed was crap and my back seized up the two days beforehand. So it took me a little while to actually, once I got out of bed, to loosen my back up and, you know, walking around and, and whatever. I thought, how the hell am I supposed to run 42 kilometres um, with this? So I got up then the morning of race day at about 4 o'clock. Race didn't start till 7. So it gave me so much time to stretch and um, just be mobile and and eat and whatever I needed to do and then I walked down to the start of the race and off I went at about 12 k's my back started to seize up and uh, I got to about 15 and it was a struggle I got to 17 and my hamstrings decided they wanted to join in on the act and they just started to to cramp up and I could just feel them shorten on me and I thought oh geez I'm not going to be able to run much at all anymore so I started to do some walk runs. And I was running for two telephone poles, walking for two telephone poles. And I uh, did that till about 25 Ks. And then for whatever reason, a thought popped into my head that I should ring my wife and let her know um, what, what the trouble is, what sort of state I'm in. And then as soon as I thought that, another thought flushed through my mind is why she'll just tell you to pull out. And so I thought, no, I'm not going to ring her. And I was going to see her at about five or six k's anyway, the way the Gold Coast Marathon um, works out. Was, that's where we were staying. So I thought, oh, worst case scenario, I'll see her then. And then I thought, I'll ring my mate, who's the Ironman triathlete, and just see what he thinks. And then straight away, I thought, why ring him? He's just going to tell me to suck it up and get it done. <laughs> Um, he, he has a way of pushing my buttons um, and he knows knows how to get in my head in a good way. And I thought, well, there's your answer. Just You're going to listen to him and you already know what he's going to say, so just do it. So I pretty much had to walk, run um, the last 17 Ks of the marathon. I uh, got to 33 Ks where my wife and kids were and my youngest came running down the Gold Coast Highway as soon as he saw me. And he was only five. And uh, it was one of the most amazing sights I've ever seen. And all he was saying was, Dad, Dad, you forgot your jelly beans. And he had this little packet of jelly beans. (laughs) I hate jelly beans too. But (laughs) they were the best jelly beans I've ever eaten in my life. So um, that gave me a bit of a bit of oomph and a bit of kick to get through to the end of the marathon. Um, I mean, just made the cutoff time, but I made it. And... uh, yeah, so now I've done a marathon. That would have felt pretty amazing seeing how hard it was and the lead up to it being so average, 
I guess yeah. is the word. Yeah, no, it was pretty tough, but you know what? It, it proves a lot. Um, I use that example a lot to people. It doesn't have to be a marathon. It could be 10K. It could be 5K. It doesn't matter. But, uh, you know, it's, it's never going to be easy. You're going to go through some crap times. I and mean, it's an analogy for life too, you know, but at the end of the day, you've just got to stick with it and, and do what you can do. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. But if you don't have a crack, you don't know. Yeah, exactly. And like you said, as you went through it and things started not working out for you, you quickly made that change to sort of that run, walk, run, walk, which I think when I trained for the, the Spartan Ultra Beast, which is the 42, yeah. the run, walk was the thing that got me over the long distances because I only had six months to get to that distance. Yeah. And it was like a test, an experiment. Yeah. And that run, walk is that how much that can change from having to run the whole thing and run, walk can turn it from something that is like, in your brain, this sucks. This is the worst thing ever. To oh, this is actually kind of fun. Yeah, hundred percent. Oh, well, I'm actually. Um, I've got about seven weeks time. I'm doing the Gold Coast Marathon again. Yeah, um, wow, cool. But, but my training's totally different this time. I'm I'm nowhere near marathon fit, um, and I am actually going to do the entire thing, run, walk. Yeah, nice. How are um, you going to base your when you run to and when you walk to by post again or by heart rate or time? I'm actually. I wear a Garmin yep. um, and I just program it for 250 meters. Every 250 meters I change from run to walk and vice yeah. versa. Very um, cool. Yeah. So it's, and it's purely, this is just purely down for me as an experiment. Um, to, and you know, if, if other people see me do it this way, then what's stopping them from doing it this way? Yeah, exactly. And it's kind of, friendlier on your system like you said you're not in marathon shape at the moment but you can still go off and do the event and enjoy the experience itself yeah well, destroying yourself 100 yesterday's training run was a half marathon yeah and how to feel uh pretty shit at the end <laughs> but yeah, there's a, there's a, that was down to fueling strategy so um you know and every as i said before every training runs a lesson you learn from it and I didn't adequately fuel. Um, I was hydrated perfectly, but um, I, I didn't take the right nutrition with me. Um, and that's what you should be doing in your training runs. You should be trying these things out. So come race day, you know exactly what you need and, and where you're at. And, and you don't have to worry about that. You can worry about the other things that pop out. Yeah, uh, exactly. But, you know, I, I had to drop my little man off for footy training last night and I was walking a bit funny. One of the dads said, what's wrong with you? And I said, oh, I've just run 21.1 Ks today. And uh, the look he gave me was quite funny, actually. <laughs> all right. So how did it, all this kind of stuff all, like you said, you did the, the workouts at home and that sort of started peaking and just becoming a PT. What got you to take that big step in the end to become a PT? Basically being made redundant from my corporate job. That would do it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, I hadn't planned on... I hadn't planned on being a PT and having my own business. What, what the reason I did it was obviously I got a payout. I had some cash and I said to my wife, you know what? I want to use some of this money for my own personal development. So I've started to learn a little bit about what's happening. And now I want to, I want to build on that. And even if I just run some boot camps or whatever on the weekends or some sessions in the evening, um, but it's more about me. And she was pretty good about that because um, the intention was that I would go find another corporate job and, and off I'd go. Um, the job market pretty much dried up because I was made redundant about six weeks before Christmas, five weeks before Christmas. So having been a you know, manager, manager and, and recruiting people, etc., you never, ever recruit anyone just before Christmas and you never recruit them for the first six weeks after Christmas. So I was at a point where I was going to have three months off. Um, so I thought what better time to smash out some study and, and get it all done. Then I kind of was going for interviews and they weren't really happening. And I just said to my wife, you know what? I don't know if I want to do that. I really feel like I want to give this a crack. Um, she was a little bit reluctant, obviously, because you have to build up the base, you know, et cetera, with your clients and it takes a little bit of time. And I said, well, what's the worst case scenario? I, I can keep interviewing for jobs. And in the meantime, I can keep doing this as well. So she said, okay, go for it. And it just went from there. So I started to, some of, thankfully, some of the people that trained with me in the garage sessions um, 
signed up to become paying clients, which was fantastic. So um, one of them actually came up with with the name from a business. That's and, awesome. Yeah. So I've been pretty lucky that those people have been pretty loyal to me. Um, you know, stuff's happened in, uh, since and some of them have dropped off and you know, lives change and people move on and whatever. But, um, yeah, I've been, been pretty lucky in that regard. So that's how I got into to being a PT. But what I what I found after that was that working in a gym, most of the trainers that I was working with anyway were gym-centric. Now, if I said to them I was going for a run, the looks that I would get was, oh, my God, who runs? You know, that's cardio and all that sort of stuff. So there wasn't – there was no other – there was one other trainer at the gym. He was an Ironman. Um, if anyone wanted to talk to about running. So I thought most people aren't getting the right information if they wanted to take up running and most people are scared because they've got no one to talk to. So that's when I decided to become an accredited run coach um, just so that I had some, um, someone, you know, they could look at me and go, oh, well, he's, he's not just some schmo um, thinks he can teach running. And, uh, yeah, so I managed to actually get quite a few people up and moving that have said they could never run before. And, you know, some of them have run, even if it's only one kilometre nonstop, three kilometres nonstop. But last year I had a couple of ladies that have worked up to the half marathon stage. One's actually training for a marathon now after never never running ever in her life. Um, so that's where I, I, I kind of spend most of my time now is with the run coaching. It's pretty awesome. And like you said, like, it's kind of... It's funny how like everyone sort of puts PTs in this perspective as like we are weights. We just do. We are all about the weights and that's all we want to do. Yeah. It's kind of cool you sharing that story. It was like when I coach people, it's like what do you like to do and let's just do more of that, whether it's Zumba or whatever. And yours is the same thing where 100%. it didn't gel with you with the inside the gym and you went and got the running cert and now coaching people with running and that is the passion that you love and then people are just going to be drawn into that, which is really cool. Yeah, and, you know, I'm, I'm saying what you said that you ask people what they want to do. Like, quite often, I, I used to see it in the gym where someone would say, oh, but I like to do classes and a, a PT would say, no, you have to do weights. And I understand that the benefits of resistance training and obviously I have with my runners, I make sure that they've all got um, a running-specific strength program put into their programs. Uh, because of obviously the, the benefits that are there and I make them understand why they need to do it. But for the overwhelming majority of my PT clients, I will say to them, what do you like to do? And some will say boxing and I'll say, great, let's do truckloads of boxing. Um, some will say weights, some will say skipping, whatever. And I make sure, that even, and I'll say to them, if you like doing bushwalking, if you like doing cycling, if you like doing swimming, go and do it as much as you can find something that you love because that'll keep you coming back. Yeah. I think that's a super powerful message. hundred percent. Because if you come in and you like doing boxing and I make you do weights, you'll last about two weeks. Yeah, exactly. And what, like, what do you get the, the thing that gets messed up with like, I guess new PTs coming in where they type, like try and get, clients to fit inside their bubble is that can be ruining the client's motivation to do anything afterwards 100 percent. and it's like like we get i see it a lot around here and that's the reason why i went online coaching in the end and just why you'll probably go on the running coaching is like i found it was much easier to say what it is do you like to do and let's just do that and then they started getting results and started doing things every single day versus having this thing where they go to the PT for punishment, if that makes sense. Oh, and the amount of PTs that I've seen that actually do punish people. Yes, which is just shameful. I reckon it's, it's terrible. I used to work with a lady who punished one of her clients because they didn't bring their food diary in. Really? That's going to make them do it then? Oh, and I was standing there. And I'm, I'm, the PT was similar age to me, but the client was a similar age to me as well. I think you can't speak to people like that. Like this is a grown woman with adult children and you're talking down to her like that because who knows why she didn't bring her food diary and it doesn't matter, but to make her do 50 burpees as punishment because you accused her of hiding things from you, it's like, really? But the strange part was that lady kept going back to her. 
Yeah, it's weird. It's like a self-punishment thing. Some people really like it. Like they go off their diet and they will want to just punish themselves for doing it, but they can repeat the cycle. Yeah. Like it makes them feel better, but it doesn't. It's, it's, an, it's a really odd psychological thing. Human beings are weird bunch. <laughs> yeah. All right. So what's coming up next? Like you got the, the marathon coming up, but what's next for you? Like where are you seeing yourself going in your, in your business, in your personal journey? What's going to be the next big thing on the radar? Oh, I'm a little bit of a crazy one. Um, over the last, I mentioned earlier about the, the ride to cocker cancer and that's kind of a big thing thing for me um they don't do them like they used to anymore but in 2013 um i signed up with this really crazy bunch of people called the vision crusaders and we did there was six right to cancers around australia and five in australia one in new zealand and we decided that we wanted to do all of them in the one calendar year um which meant you had to raise two thousand five hundred dollars for every ride plus find your own way to and from the rides and accommodation etc so I did that, um, which meant that for 2013, I rode over, was it about over 1,400 Ks? Wow. Um, and three of them were in consecutive weekends. Um, and then they started to die off, but I still try to do as many as I can. So I've done 12 of them now, um, and I've raised over 50 grand for different cancer research hospitals within Australia and New Zealand just on my own. That's, um, that's awesome. That's amazing yeah. stuff. So the captain of our team was just recognised for the Commonwealth Games Queen's Baton Relay um, and he got to uh, run with the baton um, because our team have raised over $1.5 million in six years without any corporate backing. Wow. That's yeah. cool. That's super cool. Yeah, so we're pretty proud of that. So because those rides don't happen anymore, um, we've kind of aligned ourselves with the Tour de Cure. Yep. So my team captain's actually friends with the CEO and founder of Tour de Cure. So um, we've kind of aligned ourselves with them. Um, I haven't had the fortune of doing one of their rides yet, but I've set my sights on next year's signature ride. Um, so that's from Sydney to Geelong. Wow. Yeah, so it's got, I think it's 10 or 12 days um, and it'll be about 1,300 Ks, 1,400 Ks, maybe more. Um, but I've got to raise $12,500 to do that one. So that's 12 months away. So I've got to get my backside back on my bike. But in the meantime, I've got the Gold Coast Marathon. I have three or four more half marathons in the second half of the year and I'm going to do Melbourne Marathon. So that's... Pretty much, yeah, second, six, last six months of, of this year, I've got all those. Um, Business-wise, um, I, I had a little bit of time off from actively um, coaching clients PT-wise because I was, I was working, but I'm back in that space now, so I'm hoping to ramp that up. Coming June the 4th, pretty much everything launches again um, with some boxing classes, one-on-ones. Uh, I've got special... Um, running specific strength sessions that I'm running for my running clients. Um, I'm hoping to get something up and running, which is just called a mum's movement group. Yeah, cool. Um, so it's not necessarily small group training, squats, push-ups, all that sort of stuff, but it'll help them with a bit of bit of movement and just socialising and having a laugh and a joke and just doing some activity. Um, and then who knows where that'll lead to for them and for me. Um, yeah, so I do coach, uh, obviously I coach footy, but out of that I do coach some of those kids um, with some training. Um, I'm pretty proud of one of my kids. He's only, well, he's just turned 14 actually, and he's into archery. He's uh, been training with me for a couple of years. He's now number one in Victoria and number four in Australia for his age group. That's cool. Yeah, so, and he had a couple of months off um, and he's just contacted me back. We've got his mum to contact me. He goes, hey, I can feel the difference from not on, not training. I need to get back into it. You know, and that's a 14-year-old kid saying that. So, um, It's a very mature 14-year-old kid. Yeah, he's got some goals. He watched the archery at the, the 
near the last Olympics. And then obviously he's, uh, you know, I was mucking around saying, oh, you could be the next one. And he's going, oh, I might be a bit young for that, but the one after. So he, he's he's got his, his heart set on something. So um, if I can help him in any way to, to move towards that, then that's a pretty, pretty cool thing. That's pretty awesome. So if people wanted to find your business on social media and the internet, how would they find it? I've got uh, pages on Facebook for both my businesses. So there's Real Bodies Fitness and then there's Real Bodies Runners. Um, same handles for Instagram. I'll try and keep them a little bit separate because obviously if you're not interested in running, then you don't want to see a lot of running crap on a, a PT page and vice versa. Um, my website, realbodiesfitness.com.au and um, just on Facebook under my name. Yeah, cool. All right, so let's do the – we got a few questions from yesterday and people were giving you a bit of stick too, which is funny. And then <laughs> – all right, so we'll go through the questions. Bit of Q&A. Yep. So Sandy asked, what strategies and steps do you use to keep your mental health in check? So when you started your journey, through the journey, the Michelle Bridges stuff, what were the things that kept your mental health in check while you were doing it? I think to a certain degree, you have to be a little bit selfish. Yeah. Um, you're going to cop a lot of stick from a lot of people. They'll notice the fact that you, you're eating different. Um, you're bringing your lunch into work rather than going to buy it and all that sort of stuff. Um, so you've got to be a little bit thick skinned in that regard. And at the end of the day, you're doing it for you, for no one else. So, um, yeah, thick skin's a, a bonus. Some of us haven't got it. Um, when it comes down to training, you have to be selfish enough to put that time aside for you. I know it, it sounds crap and a lot of mums really struggle with it because they feel that they should be allocating that time to their kids or their husbands and, and whatever. But uh, at the end of the day, a healthy, happy mum will then mean that there's a healthy, happy mum around for their kids and family later on, whereas if you just don't dedicate that time to yourself, then um, you run the risk of health issues and, and whether it be physical and or mental. So I suppose it sounds horrible, but be a little bit selfish. I think it's good too because like Sally who asked the next question, we're not interviewed her on the podcast and she said something like, you can only fill someone else's cup when you fill your own. And I think that's really important with this stuff. Like there's a lot of people, especially mums who are giving themselves to their kids and to their partners and staff and don't really put in the time for themselves. Yeah. Well, if you did put the time in for yourself, the stuff that you give to everybody else is better. It's a better version of you that you're giving out. Well, even if you just look at it in regards to if you don't give that time to yourself, then most of the time you're probably sitting around absolutely buggered. Yeah. You work your backside off for everyone else. Go and do that half an hour, 45 minutes of exercise every second day. And see the results that you've actually got that much more energy to spend time with your partner and your kids and, and whatever and do everything you need to do. Yeah, it's hard to get the initial thing. But once you start doing it, most people buy in very quickly. Yeah. And then all right, we'll go to Sally Carter. She asked, how, did you man- how do you maintain consistency, and con- consistency, consistency <laughs> with training and nutrition to lose the KGs and all that kind of stuff? I think the training part, for me, um, I, I use something that was from Michelle Bridges. It's called the 10-minute rule. So if you can't be stuffed doing it, doing your session, just say, I'm going to do 10 minutes. And if you get out there and you give it 100% for 10 minutes, you will usually find that at the end of that 10 minutes, you'll go, you know what, I'm just going to finish the session. And for me, that that's what worked. Like I, Training six days a week, which not healthy, but that's what I was doing, it became a grind. And there were some days where I was had to train at 9.30 at night. It was like, I cannot be stuffed doing this. Be outside in five-degree temperature on my spin bike in my pergola and I'd be rugged up like I was going to snow. <laughs> um, but, you know, I had to train for a bloody 200-kilometer bike ride. I had to do something. And... I'd, I'd go, all right, let's go, 10 minutes. So I got in there 10 minutes and an hour later I'd still be out there. My wife would come out and say, I'm going to bed. Are you coming in any time soon? Like, yeah, 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 I'm nearly finished. Um, so and I think I find the same with my running now. It's like, oh, shit, I've got 15Ks to do today. I can't be bothered. Just go out and, and, and do 10 minutes, which, you know, I might get a couple of Ks in 
And then you go, oh, well, I'm already out here. I might as well finish the session. So that's part of what I did for consistency. But then for the, for the food side of it, I think to be consistent, it's about preparation. Yeah, 100%. And I'm not one for doing meal plan Sundays and, you know, spending three hours in the bloody kitchen and then putting on Instagram. Um, <laughs> that was my heading. But it's just like to be prepared, if you're cooking something, cook a double batch and then you can freeze it. And then if, if it comes a crappy time and you haven't had a chance to organise dinner, you've got dinner already fro- in, a, in a container of frozen in the, in the freezer. So yeah, the, exactly. So then you're not going to look for the, the easy alternative. Um, and I think that was just for all of us, for my wife and I, that was the thing that really helped. We also set up something that uh, with a group of friends that we used to train with me, um, we used to do a meal swap. So each person would cook a dinner and yes, they were from the 12 WBT meal plans, but they were bloody good food. And you would cook enough, say there were seven of us, you would cook seven different, uh, the, the amount for seven different meals. And then we'd meet up on a Saturday morning or sometimes it was a garage session and everyone would exchange. So out of that, you got seven different meals. And it saved the hassle of, oh, what am I going to cook tonight? Because you had something different. It wasn't just seven different portions of, uh, of the same thing that you might have cooked up. Um, you had something different there all the time. So it definitely, definitely made it easier. Oops, sorry, mate. I'm back. You still there? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> sorry. So to run off and get the little man. He's waking up a bit early today. So what? Sorry, where we leave off on the food, wasn't it? Yeah. So yeah, um, I was just talking about uh, a food swap that we used to do. Yeah, cool. That's a good idea. Well, we actually, I went to Michelle Bridges had a I don't know what you call it, seminar conference or something in Melbourne, and all the um, members went and that was actually put to her as to something that her members were doing. And she goes, oh, my God, that's an amazing idea. It's something that I should promote more of. So it was just easy because, you know, if there's seven of you, you each cook a meal, um, seven different, seven of the same meal, then you all swap it, then you've got a week's worth of food that you don't have to worry about cooking. Yeah, that is brilliant. <laughs> it's like something so simple that you don't really think about it. Yeah, 100%. That's such a good idea. Right? <laughs> that is the highlight of the show. <laughs> um, oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, yeah, and then obviously Darren threw a cheeky question. Are St Kilda and Carlton going to win a game this year? Well, Carlton have. I don't know what, whether he was watching last weekend, but who cares about St Kilda anyway? <laughs> yeah. I'm a Brisbane supporter, so I just don't like talking about it anymore. <laughs> yeah, well, I suppose you're probably looking forward to playing us, so you might get a win on the board as well. <laughs> I doubt it. <laughs> <laughs> is there anything else you'd like to share with everybody before we wrap it up? No, no, just, uh, you know, if anyone, anyone's uh, out there that believes they can't run, um, I suggest otherwise um if you've got any questions that you want to pose to me by all means drop them on my socials um i'm happy to help anyone out you know there's i, I don't charge for answering questions it's uh it's something that i like i enjoy do so um, feel free to pop some stuff up there and uh who knows you may just inspire someone else to get out and uh, do something as well but um yeah running's not as bad as everyone makes it out to be and believe it or not once you start it's addictive it is like i hated running and then training for the ultra beast i started really really enjoying it especially the run walks i could do them for hours and just be fine and the only reason i stopped doing it is because we've had a baby yeah it's harder to get out 100 percent, and it's that's one of the things i found uh with trail running too not that i've done a lot of it but uh i didn't a half marathon last year. Never done a trail run before in my life, and I decided I'd do a half marathon. Don't know what I was thinking, but um, trail running is the best because I think one, it's out in nature, and two, there's not so much ego surrounding it as road running. And you do, if you're smart, walk up the hills, um, so you do get that that 
drop in intensity level, which helps your heart rate get down and, and just get to take in a bit of the surroundings. And um, I suppose it's just the same as doing a bushwalk, except there's portions where you're running. Yeah. And let's say, like, if I run, it's trails. Yeah. I'm a trails guy through and through. It just feels better on the body and my brain. Oh, on the brain especially. I, I'm, I'm actually doing uh, three weeks after Gold Coast Marathon. There's a trail half down near me. So um, it's in a national park where I grew up spending so much time and I never even contemplated running around there. But uh, I'm going to go have a crack at that and have a bit of fun there. So That'd be awesome. Actually, it might be good to – we might do a follow-up after you do – the Gold Coast run and talk about how it went and how it felt with the change and the way you're going to do it. No worries. That sounds awesome. Cool. All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening. I'll let you say goodbye to everyone, Greg, and then this will be – yeah, and I'll share all the notes, where he – how to find them, and he's – like, you do online running coaching, don't you? Yes. Yes, so I'll share all that stuff in the show notes as well so you can get in contact with him and start the journey. Awesome. Uh, so I'd just like, first of all, thank you, Chris, for the opportunity. It's, uh, you know, it's fantastic to get to, to speak to, to people about my passion. Um, it's also good to have as many people as possible um, hear your message and, and uh, if it helps anyone, then that's a bonus for me. So, um, yeah, thank you very much and thank you everyone who's uh, tuned in. No worries at all. And, yeah, your journey is super inspirational, so I reckon it's going to spark a lot of people on their journey too which is good let's hope so all right thanks everyone guys talk to you later thanks for listening again to the move eat and re-energize podcast show if you're enjoying what we're doing and you're liking what we're giving out please share it on itunes share it from soundcloud leave a review put it all over social media try and get the word out that we're trying to inspire people to move eat and re-energize more If you want to get on our mailing list where I'm sending out an email every day with just tips and helpful ideas to help you take your first step and move forward, jump over to the cjrubric.com.au. You can download our little infographic, The Big Three for Fat Loss, and we will add you to the mailing list. Thanks again for listening. Bye.